0: On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. You're digging the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast with L.D., Will the Thrill, and T.J. Two. <laughs>
1: Hey guys, welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians. I am your host, LD, along with me for the ride, as always, is Willa the Thrill. Greetings and salutations. I'm sorry. Did I take you off task? How so? You looked like you were like checking out your phone. did Did, did, you, did you did you do you have something better that you need to be uh, doing? No, no, no. I was just getting ready to, to make notes.
2: I was being a good student.
1: Okay. And thereby
2: opening my beer okay. as well.
1: and and what are you drinking
2: well it's important to note that for the next few episodes i have treated myself to a pack from one specific brewery uh ld would you
1: like to read the name of that brewery please it is (laughs) no (laughs) she can't do it uh
2: the next few cocktails will come to you compliments of the belching beaver brewery (laughs) based in oceanside california near san diego yes you are um, So that's today. I will be drinking the Ohms Pale Ale, Deftones Ohms Pale Ale, which LD selected by the can, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. It's got one of those rainbow fragmented jobs where if you turn it in the light, you see different colors. Yes. And it is a pale ale. So nice. we're going to be diving into that today.
1: And then the man with the plan on the other side of the land, Mr. TJ2, the deuce. That's done Hang on. There it is. <laughs>
3: I did not want day. to
1: open. I'm. i just waiting for the day you shotgun a beer.
3: With a shotgun, today
1: might be the day.
3: Yeah. <laughs> By the way, real quick, Free House Brewery Battery Brown Ale.
1: Ooh. Okay. Nice. Is that dark? Dark. Mm-hmm. Nice. White.
3: Yes, and it's a product of uh, North Charleston, South Carolina.
1: Uh, as, as always, I'm drinking TS to Tea, the Nutty mm-hmm. Almond, because it is a stress reliever and it's really nice and I like it. So pick up your Nutty Almond Tea at TiestaTea.com and use the promo code ROCKHEAVEN15 to get 15% off your order. Like always, live loose, baby! Woo! And uh, <laughs> so we are just, I mean, like a heads up to our, our audience, we're recording this incredibly early all will be revealed in time children but for right now we're actually uh, recording a lot of episodes ahead of time so we do have some deaths that we have to report now by the time this episode comes out i do believe it will be two weeks gone and this will have already been well and truly put on our facebook page and our instagram and all of our social media stuff so we do have a few deaths that we need to report not 10 like last week because or two weeks ago bananas. that was ridiculous so uh this week we had ralph emory he was a country music dj and a tv host and he was 88 years old
3: i completely missed that
1: ralph emory died wow yes um he he died of natural causes he was surrounded by his family at nashville's TriStar centennial medical center and um yeah, he passed away at the age of 88. He was have-
3: a, like a host on uh, TNN but back when that act was still was, stood for the National Network instead of whatever it is now. Um, and he was on like every show, it seemed like. <laughs> somehow yeah, yeah. somehow Ralph Emery hosted every single show that they had.
1: So it's kind of like the generation before Ryan Seacrest. <laughs> right, sort of, yeah. Gotcha. Well, he will mm-hmm. be missed. Rocking New Year's Eve with Ralph Emery. And then we have um Rachel Nagy. Yeah, she was the singer of the Michigan garage rock band, the Detroit Cobras. She she. Ended up passing, I believe, on January the 14th or 15th. Does not have a cause of death that has been released yet. She couldn't
2: have been that old either.
1: No. Fred Paris died. He was the singer on the In the Still of the Night song, which I'm sure everyone knows because it is one of doo most memorable songs. Mm. He was 85- And he had a brief illness. He passed away on Friday the 14th. It's actually unclear when he died. They just reported his death on their Facebook page, the group that he belonged to, for the five Satins. The five Satins were the ones that did in the still of the night, which I'm sure everyone knows. Um, And then... Do we have one more? Things usually happen in three years. Yeah, I think, I think that's all I have to report. If I did miss one, guys, I'm very sorry. But uh, like always, our hearts and our thoughts and our prayers go out to their friends and family. We know what it is like to lose a loved one. And, you know, we pray for comfort for you guys. Do we have any other news? Not really. Excellent. Well, actually, TJ, you want to talk about what's happening at your house right now? <laughs>
3: Um, Does it never my
1: happen?
3: House? Yes. Okay. So as we're recording this, there's a, a winter storm battering the southeastern United States, and uh, we uh, had b- about eh, inch and a half, two inches of snow where I live. Not, not a huge amount, but uh, it's been sleeting now for about eh, seven hours oh. on top of the snow that's fallen. So it's a frozen wonder uh, wonderland, and it's uh it's bucolic and it's beautiful, and I hate it, and I wish it would melt and leave me alone.
1: That's gonna make well, your roads a nightmare. Well, fun thing is uh we actually on our coast have our own shit to deal with. Oh yeah. We had uh, tsunami warnings yeah, Good because, because yeah. a volcano erupted near Tonga and sent massive tsunami waves toward the west coast. So oh, and by the way, uh on Betty White's birthday, uh no, the day after Betty White's birthday, a giant asteroid is supposed to come relatively close to the earth so if you guys don't hear this episode uh, it's because we all died
3: oh, yeah it's because uh, earth was knocked off its axis and uh spun us uh into a different dimension one uh that probably would be uh bereft of uh, oxygen or uh proper heat and light to uh support any form of life so um yeah we're we're totally wasting our final days recording an episode <laughs> you'll never hear end and, uh, and here we are maybe i shouldn't drink this battery brown ale quite so fast
1: <laughs> yes yeah, slow down man enjoy the little things kids that's what we're trying to say <laughs> all right so jumping back into michael jackson is that who we're covering yeah oh okay Huh? is not there's not an end in sight right now <laughs> i just wrote another episode and literally it is about one performance yep
2: well, to be fair, the guy did a lot. I mean, he had a, what, 40-plus-year career in music? and
1: Everything he did was yeah. super interesting. Like, he spent time in his kitchen, and I'm, like, wrapped. I'm like, this is
2: amazing. And it all ended up on the world
1: stage. That's the thing. Like you said, he made yeah. pancakes, and the world knew about it. Uh, that's why we had pancakes this morning. Mm. All right. In August of 1982, Michael began work with Quincy Jones on a new album at the Westlake Studios in Los Angeles. The album would be entitled... Thriller.
4: Hmm.
1: So, if you guys know anything about me and know anything about how I said this episode is about one thing, guess what it's going to be about, kids? Thriller. Do go on. I'm intrigued. <laughs> this, this thriller you speak of. It had a budget of about $750,000 to produce and nine songs carefully selected by Michael. So, he went through 300 songs and picked out nine of them. Jeez. Nine. 309. 309. For Michael's book, he said, looking back, I can view the whole tapestry and see how Off The Wall prepared me for the work that we would do on the album, and that album would become Thriller. Quincy and Ron Temperton and many of the musicians who played on Off The Wall helped me realize that dream that I'd had for a long time. Off The Wall also sold 6 million copies in this country, but I wanted to make an album that would be even bigger. Ever since he was a kid, he had dreamed of creating the biggest selling album of all time. He can remember going swimming as a child and making a wish before he jumped into the pool. And you have to remember, he grew up knowing the industry and understanding the goals and what would be and would not be possible. So you guys ready for a little fun fact? Fun fact! All right, well, let's actually actually do a little fun question. Would you guys like to know what the other nine top ten albums are of all time, since we already know what number one is going to be? Well, number two is clearly Cookie Puss. I mean... Right.
2: Right. And I think Van Halen 3 is right after that.
3: Yep. And just a single... Actually, I think I know a couple of them. Eagles Greatest Hits Volume 1 has always been tit for tat with Thriller.
1: This is international. So Mm -hmm. there was an article that came out. I'm not really sure when. I should have double-checked that. But there was an article that came out that said because of the re-release of their greatest hits, uh, basically kind of at the same time that Michael Jackson had passed away, it actually surpassed Thriller in numbers uh, in America. Right. But but international, the Eagles. Oh, Eagles, okay. But international, Thriller is still the number one selling album of all time. However, to this list, the Eagles are actually number seven. Hmm. So I'm going to, do you want it it 10 to two or do you want it two to 10? I'll give them to you. I like 10 to
3: 10 to two. Yeah.
1: All right, number ten, Fleetwood Mac, rumors.
3: Rumors, yep. Nice. Number
1: nine, Saturday Night Fever, but not the highest charting soundtrack that we will talk about in this list. Right. So it, that was the Fueled by the Bee Gees, for those who don't know. There are two soundtracks. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. This one truly shocked me. Come on over by Shania Twain. Wow. I would have
3: done shocked Nana. That was a mammoth worldwide hit with. God, she must have put out six, seven singles from that thing. Jeez.
1: I remember it being big. I just didn't remember it being that oh, top big. top
3: top ten all time big. Yeah. Well, that yes. Man,
1: I feel like a woman. And I think was yes. A... Okay, it was
3: okay. That However, don't impress funny. me much. And, yes, uh, stuff okay. like that.
1: However, my favorite song by her, no one needs to know, was actually on the Twister soundtrack. Just <laughs> FYI. Anyway, number seven is the Eagles with their greatest. 1971 to
4: 1975
1: right number six is one of my personal favorites and is the next purchase i'm going to make on vinyl which is bad out of hell the loaf number five man we're talking about right now bad so he's got two yep yeah number four the bodyguard whitney yep number three dark side of the moon by pink floyd which,
3: which I, think, I think still holds the record for longest period of time on the charts, doesn't it?
1: I It lasted from like 19-whatever-year-it-was-released it, to like... It charted for something stupid,
3: something ridiculous like 10, 15, 15 20 straight years or something ridiculous, just... Kept yeah. selling just enough every week to be on the charts for, I forget what it was. You, we could look it up, but seriously, it sounds like 500 weeks or something just completely ridiculous.
1: It's so stupid. It's so stupid. Then we've got number two was Back in Black by ACDC. Yes. Yes. <laughs>
2: oh, that is a great album.
3: <laughs> what a, oh yeah, what a, that because that, that was the first one with uh, Brian, right? Yep. yep. After the park. After by Bond had passed and, and LD's favorite member of ACDC,
1: right? Freaking love him.
3: And you just <laughs> and that. you just think, gosh, they'll never find anybody with uh, as unique a voice as Bond. They never find anybody who can oh, who's that guy?
1: Yeah. Oh, never mind. They did. Wait, was Brian the one that had appendicitis? <laughs> yes,
2: he was. Yep. He was writhing and screaming on stage. They wow, this guy is great. It turns out he actually needed an appendectomy. So <laughs> right.
1: I got his job. Which basically yeah. he's a punk because remember what happened when I had my appendectomy? Yeah.
2: I believe I made the call to take you to the hospital. I don't think at any point you... You brought it up. I mean, yeah,
1: men are such babies. So he was in the studio with Quincy and Ron, and they were working on the Thriller, and he was playing a pinball machine one day. When one of them asked him, what if his album didn't do as well as Off the Wall? Will you be disappointed? He remembers feeling upset and hurt at that question was even raised. He told them that Thriller had to be better than Off the Wall. He admitted that he wanted this album to be the best-selling album of all time, and everybody laughed at him. It seemed like that was an unrealistic thing to want. Now, the sessions went well and Michael was satisfied with the work. But what you have to remember is Michael puts in so much work. He is a perfectionist. He would literally work until he dropped. And As for Michael, it really helped the recording process that he did have someone that he thought was on his side. Before it was, here is a machine that we are working with that we're pumping this music out. And he didn't feel like anybody was on his side, especially when Joseph was in the studio with them. He would work with Quincy on Off the Wall. And because of that, he felt like he had proved himself during that time. Quincy would actually listen to what Michael would say, and that helped him accomplish what he had hoped to on that album. And he even showed more faith in Michael during the making of Thriller. He realized that Michael had the confidence and experience needed to make a record. And at times, he wasn't even in the studio for that reason. Who, Quincy? Yeah. Oh, my. He just let Michael
2: work. Well, he's one of those, I mean, like Clive Davis, he had the quote Midas touch, you know, Mm -hmm. what he, what he put into play was, was going to be gold. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and that's, that's what a good producer does. Mm -hmm. The thing about Quincy was that he was amazing at balancing out an album, which was you know, all about creating the right mix of up-tempo numbers and ballads. Mm -hmm. They started out working with Ron Temperton on songs from the Thriller album, which was actually originally called, fun fact. Fun back, I'm back. Starlight. Mm, ooh. I, I will get to mm. that. I, I'll get to, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll get to why in a little bit. Uh, so in Michael's words, I was writing the songs myself while Quincy was listening to other people's songs and hoping to find the right one for the album. He was good at knowing what Michael would like and what would work for him. They both had the, the same philosophy about making albums, but they didn't believe in b-sides or album songs they felt like every song should be able to stand on its own as a single and they always pushed for that when they were finding songs for the album he finished some songs on his own but he didn't actually give them to Quincy until he saw something good come up from the other writers the first song that Michael had was starting something which he had written while they were doing off the wall but he had never given it to Quincy Sometimes he would write a song and he just couldn't bring himself to present it to a producer. While they were making Thriller, he even held out presenting Beat It, for a Really long time before he played it to Quincy. Really? Yeah. Quincy kept telling him that he needed a great rock song on the album. He so,
3: supposedly, like, supposedly inspired Quincy to, to put, uh, uh, include a rock song on Thriller by My Sharona.
2: The Knack. The Knack. Yeah, not the Mac. Yeah.
3: That's, that's supposedly here. Upon hearing that, is just when Quincy was like, well, we, we need to put a rock song
1: on here. That's super weird because this is uh three four years after that song came out
3: uh at least yeah at least a couple because that came out like 70 or in 79
1: i guess Seventy nine. it was the number one song the day i was born yeah my Sharona. yeah my Sharona. i get that weird creepy song so he finally convinced him to share what michael had written he was like come on michael you just do you have anything just a good rock song do you have anything that's like that so he brought out beat it and played it and quincy went nuts It was the first time in a long time that Michael felt like he was on top of the world. They're about to start their work on Thriller, and Michael decided to call Paul McCartney in London to see if they wanted to collaborate. We'll see if he wanted to collaborate. That ended up producing the song Say, 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 and The Girl Is Mine. Quincy, being the incredible producer he was, actually went for The Girl Is Mine as the obvious first single for Thriller. And you don't have much of a choice. When you have Paul McCartney, you actually have to release that song first because it's going to get played to death. I believe it's a Sir oh excuse yeah. me sir paul mccartney okay. yeah. so they had to get that one out of the way and in michael's words he said when i approached paul i wanted to repay the favor that he'd done for me in contributing girlfriend to off the wall i wrote the girl is mine which i knew would be right for his voice and mine working together and we also did work on say 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 which we would finish up later with george martin the great beatles producer Jeez. so you know what the heck Let's play The Girl Is Mine right now, because like he said, you got to play it first to get it out of the way, or it's going to be overexposed and overplayed. So let's enjoy The Girl Is Mine with Sir Paul McCartney.
4: Every night she walks right in my dreams, since I met her from the start. I am the only one who is special in your heart. The girl is mine. The dog. of time because she's mine. and you know she tell you I'm the one for her Cause she said I blow her mind, the girl is mine gonna fight about this okay oh I think I told you I'm a lover not a fighter <sighs> I've heard it all before Michael she told me that I'm her forever lover you know don't you remember well after loving me she says you couldn't love another that what she said yeah she said it you keep dreaming I don't believe
2: an enjoyable song it is well i said it's not my favorite on that album but look at that album i mean, I mean
3: oh
1: yeah no we are yeah. we are actually looking at the album right now
2: i mean if you just go track by track you can see
3: why it would not be my favorite on that if you album. yeah i'd say if you go track by track on that album it might be my least favorite or second yeah. least favorite but that's that's the yeah. least favorite song on thriller is a pretty high bar to clear yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> i mean fair now i'm sure that a lot of our audience probably knows that Michael would eventually kind of get into some trouble-ish with Paul.
3: Yeah. Mm, yeah. Kind of stab him in the back is what he would actually do. He'd yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, Michael would end up buying the ATV music publishing catalog, which included a lot of Lennon and McCartney songs.
3: And then he would sell them for use in like Nike commercials.
1: Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I'll bet you didn't know that the person that actually gave him the advice to get involved with music publishing was actually Paul himself. Paul, yes, Paul who, re- it was Paul who recommended, oh, you
3: know, a great investment is... Uh... <laughs> yeah. Yes, it was. <laughs> my catalog, right? Yeah, not the stuff I did with that uh, band. That I was, <laughs> was in. everything
1: else. Yeah, he was actually staying with Paul and Linda at mm-hmm. their home in the country when Paul told him about his involvement with music publishing. He handed him a little book that uh, had MPL printed on the cover. It was a little notebook that contained a list of all the songs Paul owned and that he had been buying the rights to those particular songs for a long time. Michael had never had that idea. So when the ATV Music Publishing Catalog went on sale, he decided to put in a bid. So uh, this is uh, from an, an article that I will post out in the show notes. But August 14th, 1985. When Michael purchased the publishing rights to the vast majority of the Beatles catalog for a staggering $47 million, he actually outbid McCartney himself. (laughs) Now I'm going to give you a little bit of background. We're going to take a little bit of a left turn because this article, actually, it was very interesting. So to understand the sound business reason behind Jackson's move to take control of the publishing rights to roughly 251 beatles composition you have to kind of understand the basics of uh, the music industry economics every time a copyrighted recording is exploited for commercial purposes like use in movies or tvs or commercials for instance the party that uses that recording is required to pay a licensing fee a portion of that fee will be paid out to the record label that issued the recording and then the record label in turn will pay a portion of its share to the performers Separately, a portion of the licensing fee is due to the writer of the song in question. Songwriters, even though they are the ones who might perform the songs, tend to enter into an agreement with professional music companies to manage the collection of their songwriting royalties. Now, in a typical arrangement, a publisher might take like 50% of a songwriter's royalties in exchange for handling collections and actively promoting the commercial use of the songs. John Lennon and Paul McCartney, who were the Beatles' primary songwriters, did something a little bit more complicated because what I explained probably wasn't complicated enough. That publishing agreement they signed was with a company that they were also part owners in. That company, called Northern Songs Limited, was formed in 1964 expressly to generate revenues from the growth of the catalog of Lennon and McCartney's compositions. In this way, every sale, other than commercials use of the song Yesterday, earned Lennon and McCartney a songwriting royalty that they split with Northern Song. And part of Northern Song's share would come back to Lennon and McCartney as part owners of the company. <laughs> so, <laughs> so
2: they were double dipping, basically.
1: Kinda. It was the snake head eating the snake tail, eating the snake head.
2: Meanwhile, Ringo's at the back door. Hello. Hi. Hi hey, mate. Yeah.
1: I wrote a song about an octopus. Anybody? Okay.
2: Because, I mean, George was well on his way doing his own stuff by this yeah. point. So. Yeah.
1: Yeah. In 1969, the British company Associated Television completed a messy and contentious takeover of Northern Songs, which in turn led Lennon and McCartney to pull out their contract for future compositions and sell off their own shares in the company. More than 15 years later, in 1985, ATV, which is, I think, a subdivision of Sony, prepared to sell its entire publishing catalog. McCartney anticipated purchasing it himself only to be thwarted by Jackson, who was at the peak of his financial powers.
2: Because again, $47 million for Michael Jackson at that point is like, uh, it's like buying a car. I mean... Like, Mm -hmm. it's enough that you notice it, but there'll be plenty of money left after the end of the month. Yeah.
1: Yeah. In the years afterward, the catalog allowed Jackson to remain solvent by serving as collateral for several enormous personal loans that funded his extravagant lifestyle. Okay, so in 2006, Jackson gave up his remaining interest in the catalog to Sony, one of his primary creditors. After his death, Sony took control of the full catalog. And here's... (sighs) I've read that he wasn't sore about it, but I would feel sore. He didn't actually leave the catalog to Paul in his will as many people thought he would. Oh, interesting. So I don't know if he was angry about that or not.
3: Well, by but- the time we get there, I mean, I, I think it's kind of a thing that money is actually an issue. So it, it, maybe that's a thing he would like to have done, but he just couldn't.
2: Maybe. Yeah, because I think there's a lot of reconciliation.
3: I'm sure, I'm sure we'll get to the point where he literally walks into, um, by appointment only, art galleries and spends $10 million. Um but literally walking to him pointing and saying, I want that and that and that and that and that, which I saw on video once. But um Yeah,
1: he he, he yeah. wasn't he wasn't eating ramen is what we're saying. <laughs> he just right. got to the assisting chaplain and is like, "Not mm, I'll take it. Yeah. And they're like, uh, do you want it in one piece or fifty?
3: They said and they said, Mamma mia, it's a for sale.' That's exactly how
2: they sound. It's
1: remarkable. I'm we went there. So That's exactly what we Sorry heard. to our Italian <laughs> listeners. Oh, both of them are gone. <laughs> That's a spicy meatball. God, I'm sorry, Italy. We love your country, and we want to be allowed back in. I'm never
3: going. It doesn't matter.
1: All right. So hopping back to the album, the song "Billie Jean" was almost called "Not My Lover." Could anybody wager a guess as to why they would change the name from Billie Jean? Does that have to do with Billie Jean King? It actually does. Oh, wow. Quincy actually thought Jackson calling the song Billie Jean would make people immediately think of Billie Jean King. Who, if you guys don't know, is a famous tennis player from like the 70s and 80s, right? And she had the Battle of the Sexes with John McEnroe, didn't she?
3: That she did, yeah. No, no, no. No, no, no. Not with John McEnroe. with Bobby Riggs.
1: Bobby, Riggs. Oh, Bobby
3: okay okay who, who wasn't a professional tennis player <laughs> that Oh would be wow. like me that would be like me challenging Venus Williams uh, Yeah here's a here's let me tell you how that ends <laughs> And probably with you having
1: a tennis ball in
3: your the, the, the dough the boy who doesn't really play tennis gets smoked and embarrassed that's how it goes But <laughs> pretty much Fair. But now and I'm, but then also I don't
1: know if she started
3: the whole league or she owned the Team, but you know, I guess this qualifies as a fun fact. Fun, fun, fun fact. I think she owned the Philadelphia Freedom and got her friend Elton John to write a theme song for him. Probably heard of oh. Elton oh. Philadelphia Freedom.
1: Who who is this El Elton John? What, is it are is it Juan? Uh, he's El- a, Juan? He's
3: a he's a he's a little known pianist that wears hey. funny hats and glasses.
1: Funny. I'll tell you about him later. Can you read this? Can you read that, honey?
2: Yeah, our Alexa just popped up with Pizza Hut et glass. Has arrived. What does that even? Oh, that's the one from
1: the that's Yay! right. Like
2: when you used to go to pizza they <laughs> would have the glass sets,
3: yes, right? Yes,
1: I actually ordered two of those online, Travis. Oh my
3: God. That's awesome. You should, uh, to make sure they're authentic originals, you should go lick it. If you don't get a buzz, then it's not really <laughs> 1980s. Then it's it's not the the good lead based paint that they always used back in the day.
1: Oh, this looks, I, the picture of it looks lead based. So sweet. I and mean, that, that looks lead based, doesn't
2: it? Oh, yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: That could
2: exist. That's, Nothing else it could be.
1: Yeah. I'm not going to drink out of this. <laughs> Ever. Yeah. Strictly. for. I can't believe we drank out of it back then.
3: <laughs> Much out of,
1: well, yes, more more of a showpiece, right? Yep. Now, pizza Hut was a restaurant. It was a different time. Yeah. Remember when Pizza Hut was awesome and they had Book It? Yes. Which apparently, Mr. Hickey did not have the Book It system in his Pizza Hut. I don't think it went up to the Northeast. It may not have. He didn't have Book It. How sad is that? Did you guys out in our, you know, our, our friends out in the listening world, did you guys have Book It through Pizza Hut? Because I know I did. Travis, did you have Book It? Like, I know we grow up five years apart, so I don't remember. Is, that, is that
3: where you, you read a certain number of books and you got a free personal pan pizza? Yeah. Yes, it is. Yes. Yes we, yes, we did.
1: Good. So you had the good life as well.
3: Oh, and it all was right. delicious. I'm sorry.
1: I'm sorry that your childhood was crap, Will. Yeah, there's so all, much. All, of four, all,
3: four of those, all four of those miniature slices. Oh, they were delicious.
1: I feel like my whole life is a lie. Tasted like freedom and
2: knowledge. Uh-huh my my world is built on a foundation of sand <laughs> all right so i'm going to go cry hey ld sorry to step in here we just have to take a few minutes for
1: our sponsors okay we are back yay I have finished talking about Michael Jackson. Now, when it comes to Billie Jean, a lot of people ask Michael about that song, and it's very simple. It is about a case of a girl who says Michael is the father of his child, and he is pleading incidents because the kid is not my son. Now, in reality, there never was a Billie Jean. The girl in the song is a composite of toxic people in Michael's life. And I think it's actually happened to his brothers multiple times. Because remember, Michael really wasn't like the sexual creature where his brothers are like, groupies! So the thing that he couldn't understand is how some of these girls could say that they were carrying somebody's child when it wasn't true. I mean, Michael is very sweet and very naive. He had pointed at times where... (laughs) people would actually show up at his house at the gate saying that oh i'm michael's wife or yes. oh i'm just dropping off the keys to our apartment
2: what jason momoa is dealing with right now I'm yeah sure. oh
1: you thirsty <laughs> women get off jason momoa stop it you don't have 99.9 percent of this america doesn't have a chance with jason momoa do you even know what's going on travis i do know who he is well i don't really know why he's famous but i know who his wife is or was. it is so funny that that you literally don't know why he's famous. He is like he's like the rock with hair. He's Cal Drogo. Well, Cal Drogo he's is. He's married to uh
3: to uh, uh one of Cosby, the Cosby kids.
1: He was yep. up until like six days ago, and thirsty women everywhere were trying to slide into his DMs. And I'm like, guys, guys, no. It was the former Mrs. Lenny Kravitz, correct? Yes.
3: Yeah. Yes, she sure was. Did didn't I'm sorry, they I keep saying her. Uh, build is lisa bonet didn't she change her name to lilaquai moon didn't no she? i don't
1: know because everything i ever see her name printed in is lisa bonet
3: yeah i think at one point she changed her name to lilaquai moon okay i okay. don't think i don't think i've had enough beer to make that up
1: I mean, yet. yeah so uh anyway after that hard turn into jason momoa land michael can remember one girl who used to drive the family crazy she honestly believed that she belonged with michael And then there was another woman who had claimed that he had gone to bed with her. And then she made some threats. Other people were just a bit weirder, like people who would come on the intercom screaming that Jesus sent them to be with Michael and God told them to come. Other unusual and unsettling things happened at this intercom. And eventually they had to have somebody stand out there and be like, guys, guys, stop it. God did not send you to Michael Jackson's house. In his biography, I actually read a story that there was a teenager that was a little bit more persistent than most people. She loved Michael and claimed that she was supposed to be with him. She would write him and say that she couldn't stop thinking about them and how happy they would be when they got married and raised their children together. She was clearly disturbed. Hmm. In the months to come, Michael would receive a dozen or more letters from this woman and once she claimed that the baby that she had, well, well, she was carrying and then subsequently had, was Michael's. And she was angry at Michael because they had similar eyes and wondered how he could ever ignore his own flesh and blood. The scariest thing about this woman was one day Michael received a package from her. When he opened it up, he had discovered another photograph. It was her high school graduation picture. Also in the box was a gun. Oh
2: my God. Oh dear.
1: Yeah. In that note, she said that Michael should kill himself on a certain day at a certain time. And then she wrote that she would do the same thing right after she killed the baby whoa oh my lord yeah she had decided that if all three of them couldn't be together in life perhaps they could be together in death wow yeah michael was horrified she actually never showed up at michael's gate in fact Later, he had learned that that poor woman had ended up in an insane asylum. So he wrote the song Billie Jean because he knew what it was like to go through that. that, Quite frankly,
2: that
3: sounds like where she needed to be.
2: And there's, I got to look up the name of this, but there is a condition where people are convinced that public figures, like they are supposed to be with that public figure. Like I knew someone in college who, I believe it was their aunt was, and you might find this funny on the surface, but it's not, was convinced she was going to marry Huey Lewis.
1: Interesting. And she ended up well wow. no, I, I actually, yeah. I actually find that really, yeah. really concerning because specifically, you know, back then it mm-hmm. took work to be a fan of someone. Oh yeah. Like you had to join fan clubs, you had to actually like pay for tickets to see them in the show. You had to do now. You can just look up TikTok. You yeah. can look up YouTube, you can look up Tw- Twitter and Instagram you got all these different ways that you can see different facets of your favorite celebrity, and now we think that we know these people because they let us into their lives. I know a lot, a lot about Jeffree Star, the the makeup influencer, because he puts out videos. I know the names of his dogs. I know where he – well, not specifically like his address, but I know – He moved, I know he's a yak farmer. Like it would take so much to find that out back then in 1983 when there's absolutely no social media.
2: Agreed, and, and there is a, uh, like you said, it's hard to insulate someone these days, yeah. you know, um, and there is a mania, to, I think it's a mania, is that what they call it? Yes, I um, so. Which I, any professionals, please weigh in, where someone is just utterly convinced that a public figure is, they're supposed to be with them, and there's something that it's called.
3: And well, I mean, that's what John
1: Hingley Jr. thought he was supposed to be with the um, taxi J- Jody Foster, yeah. and so he tried to kill the president.
3: Yep, yep. sure did. Like. To impress her or something. Yeah, yeah, to
1: impress her, because he thought that that's what she wanted.
3: Wow. It's just, oh. it's all good. Yes. It's all very Kathy Bates from Misery. Oh um, yes. yes.
1: Accurate. Yeah. So now while working on it, Michael was confident that it was going to be a really big song. He got totally absorbed in that song. One day during a break uh, in the recording session, he was riding down the Ventura freeway with Nelson Hayes who was working with him at the time. Billy Jean was going through his head and that's all he was thinking about. So they pulled off on the freeway when a kid on motorbike pulled up next to him and just said, your car's on fire. (laughs) Suddenly.
3: I'm sorry. I don't don't know why, but I'm just hearing like Buckley from King of the Hill saying that your car's on fire.
1: (laughs) I don't know why. I no, have no I, idea
3: why. That's how I heard that voice, but it was Buckley. Uh, I, I,
1: oh, I didn't know Buckley. that was a character, but yes, that that's exactly how it sounded to me in my head as well. Oh, so fine. you don't think you're far off. Or Tony Schloen from yeah. FYI. Oh hey, your
3: car. You're, oh hey, your car's on fire.
1: Suddenly they noticed the smoke and pulled over, and the whole bottom of the Rolls Royce was on fire. Jeez, that kid has saved his life because if, if the car had exploded, that that probably would have killed them. But I don't think cars work that way. I don't think they just explode like they do in the movies. Do they?
2: Uh, I've yet to
3: hear
1: about that happening. Travis, you're in the news. Have you ever seen a car explode?
3: Uh, no. I've seen them burn. Yeah. Uh, and theoretically, they they can explode. I mean, it's possible. But no, I've never actually seen that. I've I've seen several cars burn, and I've never seen one blow up.
2: Yeah.
1: We're in the movies, the hero like throws a paper clip, and it's like kaboom. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's. Uh, I have seen the tires blow on cars mm. when they're on fire. That's, that's about the, as much of an explosion as I've seen before. So that's kind of the story of Billie Jean. All right, so hopping over to Beat It, that was actually written with school kids in mind. I always love creating pieces that will appeal to kids. It's fun to write for them and know what they like because they're a very demanding audience. You can't fool them. They are still the audience that is most important to me. And I don't think that ever changes as he gets older. Like he always likes creating things that might influence the younger generation. Um, The lyrics to Beat It express that that's something that he would do if he were in trouble. He is a pacifist, and it's basically his message that says that you should avoid violence. And that was something that Michael was really passionate about and cared really deeply about. He was trying to tell kids to be smart and avoid getting into trouble. If you fight and get killed, you've gained nothing and lost everything, and so does the family. And this echoes something that Joseph used to say, you're the loser, and so are the people who love you. And so that's what Michael was trying to get across. Now, if you guys know anything about Beat It, that it has a guitar rift, a very noticeable guitar rift. And it does. A very special guitar oh. rift.
3: One that we discussed in part one of our heavy header series. <laughs> yep. It oh, is very uh, most, it, Low a, a one full year ago.
1: Ah, oh, happy anniversary. It is very close to the hearts of one of our hosts here at Rock and Roll Heaven. And if you guys haven't figured it out, that guitar riff was done by Eddie Van Halen. Now, funny story about that. Eddie actually got a call from Quincy Jones. He thought it was a crank call. (laughs) They had a bad connection and he was convinced that the voice on the other end of the phone was a fake. So he slammed the phone down and Quincy just kind of looked at the phone, hung it up dialed the number again and got Eddie to agree to play the session for Michael. And I think that we can all agree that it's probably one of the best guitar riffs in music history. It's up there. And
3: two, two things. And we discussed both of these when we did a series on Eddie Van Halen last January one, uh, Eddie refused to accept payment of any kind. He was not the, the extent of his compensation. As I understand, it was a case of beer. <laughs> instead of you know half an album point which would have netted him you know five or six million dollars and That's then fine. the other thing is the whole thing took him like 20 minutes God. he he walked in let's listen to it actually reworked one whole part of the bridge of the song he says and he claimed michael wasn't present when he did it then he played the solo and uh, then he left and that was that
1: yeah well since you love this song so much and the story behind it i think we should listen to beat it so absolutely we should so here you go kids from thriller here is beat it <laughs> Travis do his what do you call it Travis share your opinion first because I know you have thoughts
3: oh it's a a, no it's it's a terrific song Eddie's solo is fantastic it to to think that he walked in there and in 20 minutes reworked part of the bridge and recorded that totally totally off basically by feel and and off the top of his head after listening to the song a time or two or what they'd laid down of it uh up to that point it's it's yeah that's that's terrific
1: okay and uh, Mr. Thrill, what do you think?
2: Nailed it. No notes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So,
1: are you guys ready for a little bit of a fun fact? Fun fun, fun. fact. Okay. Uh. Now, the famous guitar solo, which was like we've talked about originally done by Eddie Van Halen, was actually replicated in Weird Al Yankovic's parody for the song, Eat It. Now, Eddie didn't step back into the studio for that. Actually, it was reproduced by Yankovic's producer, Rick Derringer. And according to Yankovic, when he presented his lyrics to Jackson for review, he didn't know what kind of reception he was going to get for it. But apparently, Michael actually thought it was pretty amusing and agreed to allow the parody. Now on October 19th, 1989, the R I A R I A. See, I told you I can say the words, and but it's saying the acronym is so hard. RIA, R-I-A-A, A-A, Certified right. Eat It as a Gold Single.
2: Nice. <laughs> now, is that the Rick Derringer? Like rock and roll Hoochie. Right, rock and roll Hoochie too. Yeah. Cool? That's what I was wondering. Yeah. I believe it is. Yeah yep the yep. same rick derringer yeah
1: rock and roll yep. that's that that's the one
2: yes it is rick so does derringer. that mean they they took the sample or the song
1: the solo was redone by weird al's guitar player i think i think rick reproduced it as in he went into the studio and recorded it oh he did that's wow. how i'm reading it mm-hmm. okay i could be Isn't wrong.
3: it no wait including the, the the tapping
1: portion possibly yeah wow yeah So he kind of knows what he's doing. I mean, also, though, like Weird Al's band could have also done that.
2: Yeah, I I still argue to say Jim West is a highly underrated guitar player because he's had to make, he's had to duplicate everybody.
1: Yes. Yeah, he is. He's an incredible guitar player. So, all right. And this made me so happy when I read it, but I'm not going to read it as a fun fact because I just just, want to. I'm not going to read it as a fun fact. Not All right. So they had hired some new members of the team to actually kind of be the backing band. And that band was actually Toto.
3: <laughs> no. they, 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 hey, those guys were, they were one of the best studio bands going and they played with just about everybody.
1: Yeah. But I, the, my number one song on Spotify last year, last year, <laughs> 2021 was Toto. It was Africa,
2: which does tie in with Weird Al there as well, isn't there? No, Weezer. Well, he was. Didn't he? Was he a part of that? No, I don't. In the video,
1: I thought they, Weird Al was in the video. No, no, Weezer. He was a part of Weezer re- when they covered it. right? Yes, Weezer covered Africa's <laughs> Toto. <laughs> And they use Weird Al Yankovic in the music video to stand in for Rivers Cuomo, I think. I believe so. Yes. I have to rewatch it, but because I mean, like, it's fantastic. I'm totally fine with that. Yeah. Now, if you guys don't know who the band Toto are, uh, shame on you. They had hits like Rosanna and Africa. And speaking of Africa, Somewhere in Africa is the 11th album released in 1982 by Manfred Mann's Earth Band. Yeah. <laughs> We'll get to do right. it. i think i think t gets to do it this time oh, t, go ahead. You, you did it last time
3: ladies and gentlemen the federally mandated man for man's earth band reference to the rock and roll heaven podcast has now been satisfied
1: yeah oh, you sound like a creepy like security guard i like how what ca-
3: are you what are you wearing
1: oh t- stop it
2: tj's a combination of like wolfman jack and the guy from scream uh, and I sound like more like the person who comes out at the beginning of the Broadway show, like, please unwrap your gum now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we,
2: we all have our, our different approaches.
1: I just actually, for a second, like being serious about our Manfred Mann's Earth Band mm-hmm. reference of this podcast, I literally just told you that it was that album, Africa, was released in 1982. Toto's album? Yeah. No, no, yeah. No, Manfred Mann's. Oh, Manfred Mann's album. Okay. Africa. Okay. Somewhere in Africa. Out of
3: Africa, yes.
1: Somewhere, somewhere in Africa. Somewhere in Africa,
3: correct. Yeah. Uh,
1: what year are we in now? <laughs> well, Fedora came out in 80. Is that right? <laughs> no, 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 82. 82? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's about to be just stomped. We made it to the 80s. <laughs> we're in the 80s. We're deep into the 80s. We're good. We're in the 80s, baby. Now they were well known as individual session musicians before, like we're sorry, I should have not not. Manfred man toto sorry toto were well-known individual session musicians before they came together as a group so pyt or pretty young thing was written by quincy and james ingram someone else we've actually covered That's on right. this podcast because he sadly passed away right when we were actually starting up this show so he actually invited his sisters janet and latoya into the studio for that song and they produced the real backup vocals that you hear They also programmed an electronic device called a vocoder, which gave out that funky-sounding vocals that you hear. Uh, That's a vocoder? Yeah, it's a vocoder. And one of my favorite songs of all time is Human Nature. Mm. That was the song that Toto brought to Quincy, and both of them agreed that the song had the prettiest melody, but they actually thought that it was even prettier than Africa. Hmm. Steve wrote the song when his first-grade daughter came home crying after a boy pushed her off a slide. He blurted out the reason for the incident to comfort her. He said the boy liked her, people could be strange and it's human nature. Hmm. He recorded a rough demo of the song in the studio while they were working on Africa. And that was uh, in the mixing process. So he was like, well, while you guys are mixing this, I'm gonna lay this down. So he laid the demo down. Originally the song was actually offered to Toto, but they passed on it because they preferred that stadium rock oriented material and sound. The Lady In My Life was one of the more difficult tracks to cut. They were used to doing a lot of takes in order to get the vocals as perfect as possible, but Quincy wasn't satisfied with Michael's work on that song, even after literally a dozen takes. Finally, he took Michael aside one night and told him that he wanted him to beg. That's what Michael's verbatim said in his book. He said, he wanted me to go back into the studio and literally beg for it. So I went back in and turned off all the studio lights and they closed the curtains between the studio and the control room so I wouldn't feel so conscious Q started the tape, and I begged. The results is what you hear in the groups. Now, the process for this album was taking a really long time, so eventually, they were under pressure for the record company to finish Thriller. They said that it had to be ready by a certain date, do or die. So, they were breaking their backs to get this album done by the record label's basically arbitrary deadline. And in Michael's opinion, there were a lot of compromises made on the mixes and various tracks, and whether or not certain tracks would even end up on the album. They had cut so many corners that they almost lost the whole album. And holy cow, wouldn't the world have been much different if that would have happened?
2: Be a lesser place.
1: Yeah. When they finally listened to the tracks that they were going to hand in. Thriller sounded so crappy that tears came to Michael's eyes. It sounded terrible and it was, he was crushed. Michael was absolutely crushed. He had worked so hard on this and the mixes sounded terrible. Now, to solve this problem, each of them had to be remixed, bringing up a level on some orchestrations and toning down voices and others. And it was time consuming and tedious work. And I actually read somewhere, that it would take a week or so for each song. That's a long time. Yeah, nine to 10 extra weeks. Quincy, along with some of his managers, Ron Wisner, and his attorney, John Bronca, sat with Michael, and he was in the studio, and they were listening to the playback to the album. Michael was elated because it sounded so much better, and he was so optimistic. When Ron turned to him and said, Mike, you know that the record market is off right now, Quincy agreed with him. He said, you can't expect to do with this one what you did with Off the Wall ron added that at the time two million would have been great for any album to sell quincy kind of you know bounced off that ideology saying that it was a tough market and that nobody was having any hits turn it down michael said to the engineer the music kept playing he turned his head and screamed i said turn it down he demanded to know what was wrong with these guys his smile that he had beforehand was completely gone he was so angry that the people that he entrusted didn't think that he'd be able to succeed. And Michael stormed out of the studio. Mm. He was so upset the next day that he called his attorney, John, and told him that he was so angry that Ron and Quincy predicted that Thriller would only sell 2 million copies. He insisted... That John called Walter, who was the president of Epic CBS, and told him that the record was canceled. He wasn't even going to submit it to CBS. He was going to pull the plug himself because if the two people that he trusted, like Quincy and Ron, didn't have the faith in him, there wasn't any reason to put it out to the public. He would rather have it go unheard rather than it not get the attention and respect it deserved. Upon hearing this, Walter himself called up Michael and according to Walter's memory, when Michael told him what occurred in the studio, he tried to calm him down by saying, what the hell do they know? You're the superstar, not them. Jesus, Michael, we trust you. Not not Quincy. All due respect to the guy and certainly none of your managers, but you're the superstar. And after a little bit more buttering up, Michael finally said that the record was able to be released. Now, there is some speculation about whether or not he really would have canceled the release simply because of Quincy's prediction, but more likely he was just trying to get his way. It was more strategic than anything else. You have to remember that if you come from a big family, you have to make a lot of noise to get noticed also he's under contract yeah i mean but he can yeah. say i don't believe in this i can i don't yeah. want this it's still I mean, a risky move, but he'd yeah. also have to pay for it exactly so yeah. now i have two dates released but i'm going to go with the book version because as several online sources stated that it was released on november 30th but the biography states that it was released on the 1st of december 1982 it was released to a market of seasonal shoppers but it's funny that it was released prior to christmas because literally the title track is so ingrained in the mm-hmm. halloween season that if they had released it a month before, it might have actually garnered even more success. Yeah, it should have been October release. But but the first single was "The Girl Is Mine," like we talked about, because you know they, they want to get that out out of the way and let the other songs have a chance to breathe. Then came "Billie Jean." <laughs> And then there was the funky, you want to be starting something, which kind of sounds like a distant relative to Don't Stop Till You Get Enough, and Working Day and Night. The reason why they all kind of sound the same in that little genre was they're all written at the same time. It was when he was working, I believe, on Triumph that he wrote that little string of songs. So they
2: all were... The same well, for there, right the, yeah, the
1: same time frame. Wanna be starting something, climaxes in a Swahili like chant, which gives the song a little bit more of an international flavor. According to Music Match, and that's music with an X, I think the lyrics are Mama Mama, Mama say, Mama Now, the thing is, Mama Mama say, Mama I can't do it. It's Michael Jackson. I can't, no one can sing Michael Jackson. Only Michael can it's anyway. I just did. That's signed the hell out of. it. Those are some fine vocals. <laughs> I feel like this is actually one of Michael's angrier songs. And then uh, the reason why I looked up the lyrics is because people are like, "Oh no, it means this. Oh no, it means this. Oh, if you translate it, it means this." It's like, no. Apparently, mama say, mama saw, mama kusa. Why can't I do that? It's like R I A A. Oh, come on. Anyway, it's just it's it's just those lyrics. It doesn't really mean anything but i feel like this is one of michael's angrier songs because he was talking about feeling like a vegetable and pain being thunder Oof. so i think it's more of his like angrier darker songs but we haven't talked about one of the songs yet the title track Title of the song thriller the song was as much about michael's fascination with the supernatural and the lurid as it was just being a friggin' banger Thriller was actually not written by Michael. Oh. Mm-hmm. It was Ron Temperton, who had pre- previously had written for his 79 album, Off the Wall. Ron wanted to write something theatrical to suit Jackson's love of film. He improvised with a bass and drum pattern until he developed a bass line that runs through the song, and then wrote a chord progression to build to a climax. He recalled, I wanted it to build and build a bit like a stretching elastic band throughout the tune to heighten suspense. Now, remember that fun fact that I told you guys beforehand? Fun fact you told us before. About how it was titled Starlight?
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh. Starlight was actually the original title for Thriller, the song. Oh, wow. With the chorus lyric, Give Me Some Starlight, Starlight Sun. The production team led by Quincy Jones felt like the song should be the title track, but that Starlight wasn't a strong album title. Instead, they wanted something mysterious to match Michael's evolving persona. Templeton considered several possible titles, including Midnight Man, which Jones felt was going in the right direction, but not exactly there. He finally conceived a Thriller, but worried that it was a crap word to sing. Because... (laughs) In his opinion, it sounded terrible. However, he got Michael to spit it into the microphone a couple times, and it worked. With the title settled, Temperton wrote lyrics within a couple hours. He envisioned the spoken word sequence for the end of the song, but did not know what form it should take. He decided to have a famous voice from the horror genre, and uh, so Jones's then-wife Peggy Lipton suggested her friend, Vincent Price. Yes! Temperton was composing the words for Vincent's part in a taxi on the way to the studio on the day of recording. But you literally can't talk about the album without talking about the song. And we can't talk about the song without talking about the music video. And I'm going to go ahead and say up top, I hate John Landis with a burning passion that is only matched by the fiery depths of the sun. <laughs> and I have basically told him that to his face. Yes,
2: you had an encounter with John Landis.
1: I had an encounter with John Landis. And I have never felt more satisfied walking out of a Bob's Big Boy. Anyway, the the Bob's Big Boy, correct? It's the Bob's Big, is the first one. So, yeah, now that I've got that off my chest i can move on michael jackson's thriller is a 1983 music video for the same song thriller which was released in 1983 in december it's one of the 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 later ones Mm. that was released because remember the album was released almost a year prior to the release of the single the video is directed by john landis and written by landis and jackson anyway and it stars ola ray it references numerous horror films and sees jackson dancing with a horde of zombies Jackson's sixth album was released in 1982 and spent months at the top of the Billboard charts, backed by the successful videos for things like Billie Jean and Beat It. Now, (sighs) Frank DeLeo suggested making a music video for Thriller. Jackson hired Landis after seeing his 1981 film, An American Werewolf in London. Mm. Which is a great movie.
2: It is, to be fair.
1: Yeah. I have not actually which seen. Is- I've only seen the really? transfer. I've actually only seen the transformation scene because we watched that in our film film class. Which special effects by Rick Baker, I believe. And he also does the special effects for this, and he all- does almost the same transformation for Michael.
2: And the thing that we've lamented time and time again, LD, is the fact that yes, you hate John Landis, and the reasons are solid. He's attached to some just, I mean, amazing projects. That's the thing.
1: Yeah, but he's not. <laughs> I have I mean, his product. This, well this, yeah. this is a, this like is a, a conversation for another day, which I mean, like I've got a really good steady heart rate right now. And <laughs> if I talk about John Landis, I'm just going to like get angrier and break something. And we're almost done with this episode and we're doing really good. So please let's just, let's just walk away from John Landis. Fair. All right. So anyway, the pair conceived it as a short film with a a budget much larger than not just previous music videos of Michael's, but a budget higher than some films that were produced Mm -hmm. and definitely the most expensive music video of all time, up until I do believe in when he released Scream.
2: So you're the biggest, too. I, <laughs> I,
3: now, I, I want to say that Express Yourself by Madonna eclipsed it for a while and then scream reestablished michael as having the most expensive opulent video of anybody
1: probably yeah you might you're probably not wrong but i only re- i don't remember express yourself eclipsing it but also i didn't do any sort of like side quest to try to find that out <laughs> but sir
3: cer- but sir cer- but certainly at the time nobody had ever spent this much money on a video no yeah. Jump, Jump by Van Halen cost five thousand dollars, and they, which apparently half of that was for beer.
1: I mean, yeah, it. they, They weren't. I think after this music video really hit, I think artists realized. Oh, this is actually a very viable way to get our music out to the masses because MTV had just launched.
3: Well, this this uh, this raised the bar considerably, uh, for sure. I <laughs> oh, think yeah. I think I want to say MTV launched in eighty or eighty one, but a lot of the videos they showed were just old performance clips that. Had been recorded for shows like Top of the Pops and Dick Cavett and people yeah, like that. Yeah, and there were very few artists using it as a form of real art. Exactly. Like, oh, look, yeah, uh, Bowie did uh, a very or very early, actually, predating MTV even. I think the Ashes fresh Ashes uh, Ashes, okay. Ashes
1: video. Yeah, the Ashes for Ashes, and it also that Ashes for Ashes did cost a, a pretty penny as well, if I remember correctly. Which, which is a
3: shame because look at it, really. <laughs>
1: It was filmed in various locations in Los Angeles, including the Palace Theater. Um, I actually had a friend who lived in the house that was the the, the house that the demons break into, the zombies break into. Who lives there? Uh, Rachel. Really, Rachel. Oh, rent- Rachel rented part of the house. I actually never got to see it, which is a shame. I probably need to like go on a little journey. But um, there was a making of documentary. The Making of Michael Jackson's Thriller, which was produced to sell to television networks. Now, the thing is, Epic was like, we're not paying for this music video. <laughs> and so they made that documentary and sold it. And that's how they got their money back for it. Thriller was launched to great anticipation. And I mean, great anticipation. Watching this music video was an event. I remember it is one of my earliest friggin' memories was... Mm-hmm. Was watching that music video. Uh, Do you remember when it came out, team?
3: Vaguely, I don't even think we had MTV. It seems like we saw it through some other means.
1: I think we did. I actually think no I think it they might have aired it on CBS at some point because it is CBS. So Yeah,
3: we we saw it, we saw it somewhere else for sure. But yeah, I do remember it.
1: And it's interesting because this album or that that music video actually got heavy rotation on MTV, which is interesting because remember we just spoke about David Bowie had to speak out against Mm-hmm. the racism that, or the bias, I guess, bias and racism that that MTV was showing against Black artists.
2: That interview is still, I mean, yeah, watching the interview it is, is so <laughs> The
1: interview is so yeah. satisfying. So it doubled the sales of Thriller helping it to become the best-selling album in history. And that cassette sold over a million copies on VHS, becoming the best-selling videotape at the time. It is credited for transferring music videos into a serious art form, breaking down racial barriers in popular entertainment, and popularizing the making of documentary format. This successfully transferred Jackson into a dominant force in global pop culture. Many elements of Michael Jackson's thrillers had a lasting impact on popular culture, such as the zombie dance... Yeah. which I don't know if you guys remember this, but like like right when YouTube came out, do you remember the prisoners in the, I think it was a Bangladesh prison did the thriller dance?
2: It's the Philippines.
1: Is it it was Philippines? a prison in the Philippines. Philippines. Yeah, they all okay. did, yeah. And they all did the dance. And then of course you have Jackson's red jacket, which was designed by John Landis's wife, Debra. I don't have a problem with Debra. She's fine. Fans Worldwide reenacted the zombie dance and it remains popular on YouTube. The Library of Commerce describes it as the most famous music video of all time and it has been named the greatest video by various publications and readers poll. And in 2009, it became the first music video to be inducted into the National Film Registry as culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Nice. All right, you guys ready for a a round of pseudo rapid fire fun facts rapid fire, rapid fire fun facts all right The video cost a half a million dollars. At the time, it was the most expensive video ever made, but CBS Records wouldn't pay for it because they didn't want to make a third video from the album Thriller. So they had a policy of never paying for clips, so Landis and Jackson funded their budget by getting MTV and Showtime to pay $250,000 each for the rights to show the 45-minute making of Thriller video. So MTV reasoned that they were actually paying for a movie, not clips. All right. Now, another fun fact. Fun fact! Another fun fact! Jackson's Thriller co-star is... Is a former Playboy Playmate. Huh. Ola Ray also appeared in Cheers and in Beverly Hills Cop 2, but this is her only music video. Well, it was this one, and Gimme the Night by George Benson, which was also written by Rod Temperton.
2: I totally forgot she was in Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> I totally forgot that. Wow. <laughs>
1: Another fun fact. Another fun fact. All right. Hollywood legend Fred Astaire was a massive fan of Jackson's dancing, and we will actually talk about that in the next episode. Uh, He attended a thriller rehearsal. Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis, who who edited Jackson's Moonwalk autobiography, logged some serious hours. While they were filming at 3 a.m. in a bad neighborhood in East Los Angeles, she was actually hanging out in Jackson's Winnebago, (laughs) which is super weird. What's going on there? There's so much going on there. As a nine-year-old child, CeeLo Green was so scared of Thriller that he would flee the room anytime the video came on TV. He thought if he could be possessed, then he would surely be possessed because Michael Jackson was so much stronger than he was. (laughs) All right. And then horror legend Vincent Price, which, I mean, we all know, House of Wax, Edward Scissorhands. he's, He's a Hollywood legend. Recorded his spoken word. He actually did a whole verse that got cut. And I found something so incredible that I have to play it for you guys right now. This is actually considered The Lost Rap by Michael Jackson and Vincent Price. And I'm going to go ahead and say, you're welcome. And I'm playing the whole thing. And it's like less than three minutes.
4: Okay, stay thrilling anytime you want. Hi, this is Michael Jackson. This
5: is Vincent Price. Michael Jackson is...
4: The Thriller. (laughs) Do we both say it?
5: Say it together. I say inviting you to? Alright, yeah.
3: Okay. okay. Anytime desperate.
4: Hi, this is Michael Jackson.
5: And this is Vincent Price, inviting you to
4: the thriller. thriller.
5: Darkness falls across the land. The midnight hour is close at hand. Creatures crawl in search of blood. To terrorize your neighborhood. And whosoever shall be found Without the soul for getting down Must stand and face the hounds of hell And rot inside a corpse's shell. The demons squeal in sheer delight, It's you they spy, so plump, so right. For though the groove is hard to beat, yet still you stand with frozen feet. You try to run, you try to scream, but no more sun you'll ever see. For evil reaches from the crypt to crush you in its icy grip. Can you dig it?
4: <laughs> <laughs>
5: <laughs> it's great fun.
1: <laughs> this
3: great anger. Okay. All right.
1: How awesome is that?
3: That's fantastic.
2: It's the greatest thing we've ever played on this show.
3: Ever, 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 ever. Um, okay. So, a couple of things. One, um, I kind of, I guess I kind of get why they would have had to chop that because the song is already very long.
2: Mm-hmm. It's already yeah. a very
3: long song. And so you could kind of understand, like, eh, maybe two stanzas of this instead of three is okay. But I, I hate that they cut out the can you dick it. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's
1: At least we still have it.
3: Wish that it exists, but yeah, that well, I, w- I wish Can You Dig It would have made the song,
1: yeah, yeah. Same z's, same z's. So now going back to the album, because I think you guys know what the end song is going to be for this episode. Um, it's Arthur, right? <clears throat> no, 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 spray ball. <laughs>
2: did,
1: did we learn a lesson? Yeah,
2: clearly not. <laughs>
1: Now the thing is Thriller isn't a concept album but if they had kept the title track and created a concept album it would have been really interesting but the album doesn't have an actual focus so where I think like Destiny and Triumph with the Jacksons were no filler had a through line, really well balanced. This one wasn't as focused. It's literally just an album of incredible songs. Mm -hmm. Even the album's cover art is just a photo of Michael casually posed in a white jacket and pants. But it's a picture that most people refer to when people talk about his plastic surgery. Basically keeping with that idea that if he had just stopped there, he would have been fine. Got it. Once it was released, there was a point where the album stopped selling like it was a leisure item like a toy or a ticket to a movie or new shoes and it started selling like bread and milk (laughs) like things that you can't live without (laughs) CBS would report that the album was selling an astonishing 500,000 copies a week and of course there's Quincy saying oh yeah I knew it was gonna be a hit the whole time because that's the thing is like even when they did their Vegas show and they said, okay, you're not going to get any backing from Motown and it became successful. And then Barry was like, Oh, we believed in him the whole time. Like I hate that hypocrisy. Uh, by the end of 1983, Thriller would sell a staggering 13 million copies in the U.S., That's insane. nearly 22 million copies worldwide, and at the time, it was the best-selling album. And and
3: here's the thing: the legs that it had were remarkable because it was it held the number one spot in 1984 for a long time.
1: Oh yeah, we're we're gonna get to that insane but it actually knocked off the soundtrack to saturday night fever which had a worldwide sailing of uh 25 million since its release in 1977 and the release of thriller actually had a domino effect to the record industry as a whole because people would go to the store to buy thriller and they'd end up purchasing other records so as a result the business had its best year since 1978 the president of am records a is not even have anything to do with Epic. It has nothing to do with CBS. They said at the time that the entire music industry had a stake in Thriller's success.
2: That's crazy that it was actually creating ripples with other records.
1: Yes. Ultimately, Thriller would go on to sell, okay, and then this is where we might get letters. I'm going to throw out many numbers okay. as what it possibly could have sold. Okay. It sold more than 50 million copies worldwide. It would spend 37 weeks at the number one spot on the billboard charts. And in the UK, it would stay on the charts for 168 weeks. <laughs> it did hit number one. I didn't actually back check if it was number one for 168 weeks because that seems like well, I, I don't I don't yes. think that's accurate now. Yeah. Okay, so it, it stayed on the charts. It did hit number one in the UK, but it actually stayed on the charts for 168 weeks. Funny enough, the release of Thriller marked the first time that an album was number one in the US and the UK at the same time. Uh, also, prior to Thriller, no other album had spawned seven top 10 singles. Wow. Seven top 10 singles. Those were Billie Jean, Beat It, The Girl Is Mine, Human Nature, Want to Be Starting Something. PYT, and Thriller. All of those songs sold a massive amount on their own right around the world. The album won a record-breaking eight Grammy Awards at the 26th Grammy Awards, including Album of the Year. Yay! Jackson won seven of the Grammy Awards with the eighth going to Bruce Sweden. Uh, That same year... Michael won eight American Music Awards, including the American Music Awards of Merit, and three MTV Video Music Awards. Thriller was recognized as the best-selling album of all time on February 7th, 1984, when it was inducted into the Guinness Book of World Records. Now. What I am about to tell you guys comes from the Guinness Book of World Records website, okay? According to the Guinness Book of World Records, sales figure vary, but Thriller has exceeded the 66 million mark. I'm going to say that with money years because there are so many different numbers. Some of them as high as $100 Some as low as thirty-two, so I'm going to say the number sixty-six because that's what Guinness notes when they honored him with the award for number of albums sold. Yes, yeah.
3: There was also well until until SoundScan came along in about 1991, everything was kind of an estimate, frankly. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean that the, the record company would certainly know how many they they pressed and shipped, right? But but sales is kind of like eh, who knows the the fact the fact that you have a range of between 32 and 100 million (laughs) kind of let you know that yeah it's like yeah we're just we're guessing we really have no idea
1: yeah and the other thing was that there was also a surge in his sales after he passed away so even after he died there was still that interest and so people were still purchasing so what is not in contention is that it has been certified 29 times platinum (laughs) by the Recording Industries Association of America are the R I A A. Yes, LD did it. Which was a figure that was matched by the Eagles for their greatest hits, 1971 to 1975. The two titles therefore share the record for best-selling album in the U.S. That's for ending the episode. Do you guys have any passing thoughts?
3: Um, not really, other than I mean, this is you almost can't if you weren't alive then, and we were we were all very young. Y'all were you know, like children, children, babies, just about. And I wasn't. I mean, I wasn't even ten years old at the time. But it's the 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 impact that this had was just so colossal on every front and in a lot of ways in terms of i mean in terms of you almost just kind of laid it out that the rising tide raises all boats that other record companies were were benefiting from this because there were increased sales of everything because people go to buy michael jackson's album they're like oh i've heard good things about this springsteen fellow oh this footloose album uh, i hear has a good soundtrack why don't i pick that up so there's that but then there's there's the cultural impact that he has which which was like a, a freaking bomb going off in terms of the fact that let's just be honest this is he was about the first black artist that mtv would play in prime time or not at two in the morning Yep, and that that kind of permeated really beyond mtv in a lot of ways i i would say uh, yeah this this the cultural impact of this was was mm. titanic i mean you almost can't it, it, you almost can't overstate how big it was in every way really yep and yeah. we'll never see anything like it again ever i, I know this I,
1: I will say the closest thing that we might have had was beyonce's lemonade like she's she, mm, no i mean well i mean you aren't part of that generation though the newer generation coming up were eating out of the palm of Beyonce's hand. I would say. But not, but see, play. but,
3: but see, there were, there were very few. It, it, no, yes, it was huge. I, I'm not arguing that, but in terms of the cultural impact it had in so many ways, it, it, there's almost, you almost can't replicate that now. You certainly can't replicate the sales. Well, nobody will ever sell that many albums ever again, ever. Cause people don't buy albums just for starters, you know? Yeah. Um, But it was just, yeah. I mean, it it was the world was very different then. I mean, you're talking forty years ago. Yeah, there were still a lot of of racial walls up that he really kicked down tremendously. So. It was yeah, in every sense that was that album was just unbelievable what it accomplished.
1: Yeah, and then will you uh you wanted to weigh in?
2: Uh yeah, I mean we we hit the major points there. The fact that you know they talk about the wall, you know Run DMC and Aerosmith breaking it down, but this was I mean uh, this was a scale that eclipses that on every on every level. It's an international phenomenon. It's a worldwide phenomenon. Mm-hmm. done by a black artist we we cannot overstate that there it is impossible to do also tj you know what you alluded to you went to the store and you bought the album mm-hmm. that's what you did so even in today's market like you said that couldn't be replicated because digital sales and all that just again that that hysteria surrounding one artist of people just flocking to these stores and buying on mass is just it's unfathomable and, it is and finally the the relevance that it still has today i mean if you listen to any if you go to any bar on halloween if you listen to any radio station on halloween if you do anything on halloween you are going to hear it from yes yep. you will you will hear that song it's it's relevant even today on a massive scale and i I, guess, co-
3: I remember when my cousin got it for his birthday maybe birthday christmas somewhere in there some but some some occasion
1: and God, we listened to that thing
3: over and over and over. And over. I couldn't count the number of times we listened to that album start to finish.
1: I mean, Michael Jackson has just always been in my life. And so that, that album, it's in my record player right now. Yes, it is. I, I would turn my camera on, walk you to the bedroom <laughs> and show you my record player. It is sitting on the turntable right now. I'll post it to socials. How about that? Yes. Mm-hmm. That's totally good. Yeah. Cause it's that's how important that album is to me. It is it, it is something I I have access to in my everyday life, and I'd rather listen to it on vinyl than I would on my phone. But I For went sure. to the store and I bought the album, which just doesn't really happen anymore. All right. So I think that is a good close of the show. Guys, I'm gonna give out our socials. Join us next week where we are probably only literally gonna talk about one event. Again, because I'm now I'm just I belong to Michael. Because God. pacing is not your strong suit. Shut up. <laughs>
2: Michael Jackson goes to a Pizza Hut. That's next episode.
1: It wasn't a Pizza Hut. It was a Shoney's. Oh, I'm sorry. It Go was Showbiz. It was Showbiz.
2: Will <laughs>
3: Showbiz oh.
1: Pizza, oh. where a kid can be a kid. My do, mistake. Do. Anyway, uh, or Godfathers, but Will, it was one of those. Will actually did mention that he was going to post something on our socials. So, I'm going to give that out right now and then we will say goodnight. So, if you uh, think we're doing an awesome job and you'd like to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven. You can check out our Twitter at rock and roll LT, our Instagram, rock and roll heaven LT, Facebook, rock and roll heaven pod. Still not staying on our website. You can email us at rock and roll heaven LT at gmail.com. And if I went too fast, you can check everything out in the show notes. And also, please make sure that you're listening to all the other awesome Pantheon podcasts at pantheonpodcast.com. And you can still get your T fix at TS to T and use our code rockheaven 15 to get 15% off at checkout. Woo! All right. So that's it for the show tonight. Uh, T, do you have anything you'd like to say? Bye, buddy. All right. Mr. Will the Thrill. Toodles. All right. So. To wrap up this episode, I figured that there was probably uh, no question as to what was actually going to be the the song I end with. Uncle Arthur.
2: Uh, no, put the bottle down. Oh,
1: uh, you think I'd learn by now? Yeah, you, but you don't. Which <laughs> no, is weird. I do not. <laughs> so we're gonna end this on one of the highest notes that Michael oh! will ever. <laughs> no, that does not destroy
4: a bottle.
1: cheese. <laughs> I'm just. Don't- <laughs>
2: That was a spray of the, the monitor. Uh.
1: <laughs> so we're going to close out tonight with, is there any question? Do I even have to say it? Are you going to spray me again? I don't know. I'm just going to say, we're closing out with Thriller, guys. Uh, enjoy. It doesn't have the third <clears throat> refrain, but do, stand, it doesn't have the second part of Vincent Price's magnum opus, but it does have at least two parts of that. So we're going to close out tonight with Michael Jackson's a thriller and uh, make sure to check us out next week when we talk about Motown 25. All right, guys, have a great week. We will see you next time. We love you all.
3: If you're looking to get a new car, you could really cut expenses by bundling your car and renter's insurance with Progressive. Sure, you love your old car, but you know it's not normal to give instructions on how to open the window. It should be self explanatory, but it's not. And notice how when you're in other people's cars, you can feel cushion in the seats? That's pretty nice, right? No, it's just normal. So bundle your renters and car insurance with Progressive and put the savings toward a new car. It's time. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers.
1: The Venture X Card from Capital One gives you premium travel benefits, perfect for seeing Taylor Swift The Eras Tour. Presented by Capital One. Oh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and ten times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel.
5: Enjoy your stay in suite 13.
1: Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply.
2: See CapitalOne.com for details.
0: What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house? The happy family? The money? 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing?
4: What's the problem?
2: What's the problem?
0: Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would
2: they shop? Would they
0: shop? Would you kill?
2: Yes. I don't know. My mom
4: and dad. My mom and right
0: there. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, the Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th.